arts are everywhere and in everything. And there's a fascinating, unique person and story behind each one. And that's what the Arthropologist is all about. Exploring the arts, one unique person and one unique story at a time. I'm Bill Wilson, and I'm the Arthropologist. First of all, thank you so much for being on The Arthropologist. I love your program. My wife and I love your program. We watch it literally every day. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that so much. That's so nice of you to say. Well, and I want to just go on and get right into it because uh, uh, I want to use our time as well as possible. Would you just, at first, just tell everybody uh, what what your channel is about? Yeah, so my channel started out as many different things, but what it's evolved into today, which is my ultimate goal, is to cover classic TV shows. Sometimes here and there in class, I cover classic movies, but right now it's it's the TV shows that are really just the most popular. It's the ones that I enjoyed since I was very young. These aren't, I wanna make it a big point that these aren't shows that I just started watching yesterday. These are shows that I've been watching since I was three years old, so over 30 years now, and I still love them. And there are people of many different ages who love it. Yeah, my wife and I, we're in our 50s and 60s. And so these are things that we grew up on. And I think one of the things that we love so much about YouTube is that it enables you to make contact with people who are as, as passionate about things that, that, you, that you're passionate about. And, you know, it it's a big world and not everybody cares about I Love Lucy or the Hogan's Heroes. Uh, but if you do, then it's just so delightful to be able to uh, really visit with on a daily basis, someone like yourself who not only are you passionate about it, but you've actually put a lot of effort into this. Um, tell me how many, how long have you been doing this and how many videos do you have up now? Yeah, that's a great question. I was I was looking at that the other day. I was thinking, oh my gosh, I have 1,300 videos, so 1,300 videos. Each one, you know, edited, um, thought up by me, just ideas that I get. Um, maybe sometimes someone will send something in, and maybe that tweaks an idea or something like that. Um, 1,300 videos, as I mentioned, just over. And I've been doing this, I've had my channel since 2006, but I've honestly never really did much to it until about 2015. And that's when I started to kind of get more serious into it and started doing it almost daily to the point of where um, I started to see a really good response. And I said, well, I need to really work on this. I need to put a lot of hard work into this because the people know what I'm doing. People watch these shows, so I have to be sharp. Yeah. And tell tell us how much time does it take? I'm sure it varies from video to video, but on average, how much time are you putting into each one of these? That's a great question. My videos go from anywhere, I would say roughly seven, uh, four to seven minutes. They can go longer into 10 minutes. I usually don't go longer than 10 minutes. Just a four minute video can sometimes take three to four, maybe six hours of editing that's not even counting research, looking at interviews. I look at a lot of interviews. I read a lot of books. I read a lot of articles, a lot of other sources uh, that I won't get into. But that's just the research and the editing, not to mention uploading, putting all the tags in. 
So it could sometimes take me a couple of days just to make a three, four minute video. Yeah. And so I'm sure with all the equipment you use, with the software and everything, and just with the research, there's been a real learning curve. And yeah. so if you started 2006, that's like 14 years. Yeah. So over that 14 years, you've had a big, pretty good learning curve. Could you tell us maybe what you wish you had known back when you started and, and, and how the process has maybe gotten easier or different? Yeah, that's a great question. So back in 2006, you cannot make money on YouTube. You just upload videos and that was about it. Um, kind of the revival of the channel happened 2015 where I said, okay, now you can make money on it. But I never thought it would be something that I would make money on. I thought it was something I just enjoyed. Um, I think a lot of the difficulty that I had in the beginning was kind of being a little frightened at putting these videos out in the sense of, well, people watch this. Am I wasting hours of my day making a three minute video that no one's gonna watch and, um, and essentially talking to myself? Um, and, and, and that's the hardest part. Sometimes even today I'll make a video and it's, it's a little intimidating to be like, I gotta put myself out there and put it on there and maybe I don't get tons of views. Maybe it doesn't get good reception. Sometimes the feedback is great, but sometimes it's not. And it's a little bit difficult for that. But over time, you understand that overall, everyone's support is overwhelmingly good. And so that's what you focus on. Yeah, yeah. Is there, in this whole process, there's going to be parts that you like the most, parts that you like the least. What's, in doing your entire channel, what is it that you really like the most? And what is it I don't know if you had enough money, you could pay somebody to do, you'd have them doing it instead. I mean, that's a great question. I actually like most of it. There's very little that I don't like about YouTube. I enjoy um, actually going out sometimes into the world. Like I go into cemeteries sometimes and visit, you know, graves of actors and I enjoy doing that. Um, I enjoy the editing process. Some people really hate editing. I actually enjoy it. I think there's kind of an art to it. I'm not here to say I'm great at it because there's so many great editors out there. I think I'm very basic in my editing. I just get to the point. It's enjoyable. I enjoy the research. What is the most frustrating, to be honest, is sometimes I do reach out to certain people who are maybe in the shows or writers and so forth, and it's a little bit hard to get, um, to get in touch with them and, and to get feedback from them. I have once in a while. But I think that's the least, my least favorite part because I'm actually kind of shy. I'm actually not very, that's very surprising for people. So it's a little bit hard for me to go out there and, and get there and, and, and talk with individuals sometimes. Uh, but after I do it, it's okay. So believe it or not, interacting with people. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let me, let me ask you this then, just getting into the episodes themselves. Um, you pretty much seem to focus 50s to 70s. Is that correct? Yeah, that's, that's the bulk of what I focus on, yeah. Okay, what is it about that period? I mean, of course, TV wasn't around in the 40s, so that wouldn't even count. But um, why stop at the 70s? What's the appeal 50s to 70s? Yeah, I think that is something that we go into discussion in some of my live streams sometimes. I, I you know, we call them classic sitcoms, classic TV, because not, I don't only cover, cover sitcoms, I cover other dramas and things like that, Twilight Zone and so forth. But I ask people, what is it about these shows that make us come back to them and rewatch them? Sometimes I ask myself those questions. I think 
what is really strong is that a lot of these writers, producers, people that put a lot of hard work, including the actors, see this as work, as art. Um, we can get into a silly show like Gilligan's Island and say that's like the silliest, funkiest show in the world, but they worked hard on that show. They worked really hard on that show. The writing was just very solid, not just on that show, on I Love Lucy, on something like Emergency going into the 70s. Um, using real terminology at that time for paramedics, firefighters, kind of the advent of what paramedics were and, and giving them a bit of reputation. I think the seriousness that was given to the topics that were sometimes silly and the fact of, hey, I take my job seriously. All of these actors, most of them, you talk to them about their work and they tell you, oh, we took this very seriously. Yeah, cameras went off and we maybe goofed around. But when that camera came on and when it was time to go, we were serious. This was work. This wasn't us goofing off and, 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 and playing dress up. And I think sometimes that's a little bit lost. Now, a lot of the newer shows, the writing isn't as strong or it's very controversially motivated. Um, there's nothing wrong with that, but you can really tie that a lot of these shows, 50s, 60s, 70s. There are controversial topics here and there but I think they're universally identifiable and that's what we like. Someone in Thailand can watch I Love Lucy and laugh, but someone in the U.S. can watch and laugh as well. Yeah, and that's something, um, well, one thing uh, along these lines is I appreciate how positive your show is that uh, it's just, you know, so many things today, because uh, I work in entertainment off and on. Uh, I work in the movie and television industry, uh, off and on. And I get tired of just being hammered with politics or worldviews that it's just, uh, it's just in your face. And you want to just sit down and laugh and have fun. And I think that's what I appreciate so much about Gilligan's Island and things like that is that there's really not any politics in it. Or if it is, it's so subtle, you're not going to catch it. And I'm wondering if, for you, if you think one of the reasons that they stay so timely is that there aren't a lot of references that, whether you like them or not, you would just get lost. Uh, for instance, if you watch Bugs Bunny cartoons from the 1940s, there's so many 40s references, you don't know what's going on. You really get lost. Yeah. And it seems like almost all the shows starting in the, the late seventies, eighties became where they were specific to that time so that you don't relate. Right. Exactly. That's, that's a good point. Um, I'm, I'm covering a lot of, like you said, kind of newer shows in the frame of what I cover seventies, eighties and kind of start going into chips, which is in case some people don't know, it's kind of California highway patrol and, and there's a seriousness to it, but there's also a bit of humor in there. And you notice things. You notice things like um, the motorcycles are different. They, they talk about certain actors and actresses. Disco is really big in that show. And so if you're maybe, I don't know, a millennial, maybe that doesn't appeal to you that much. That doesn't make the show bad or anything. It just makes it very specific to that time, just like you're saying. Versus I Love Lucy when they're in, they're, it's black and white, but they're in an apartment. And they're talking about, hey, my husband, is not letting me do something I want to do, or I want to go into the show and he's not letting me, or um, I haven't told him I had, you know, I have a baby coming along, whatever it might be. These are just things that 
I think everyone at some point relates to in some way versus um, something very time specific. Yeah. Yeah. Are there contemporary shows that you really like? Um, I'm very much into um, like documentaries, things like that. Um, there's very little few, let's say television shows is what we would know as like a recurring television show that I watch. I like things like that. I like classic movies. So nothing really that, sh that pops out, that shoots out at me. Um, there's a few things from the 2000s that I like, but nothing currently. And I've been, since this is my work, this is what I do. I've been watching a lot of classic TV and it's been taking a lot of my time and I like that. Um, so I really have not a lot of time to get invested in a new show. Well, I want to ask you a couple personal questions then. Sure. You said, since this is what you do, is this your full-time job now? Um, I do other things as well. I also have, I'm a recreational pilot as well. So I'm a private pilot, as they say. Um, I'm also, I also run a business uh, with my family. Um, and but this has become my primary source of income at this point. Yes. Fantastic. It's doing fairly well. And I want to ask you about your name, 9G. Yeah. Is that yeah. your real name or is that so a that is, yeah. So great question. A lot of people ask me and I said, when I hit a hundred thousand, I would tell them, but I'll definitely tell you. Um, Rick is my first real name. Uh, 9G is not. Um, it actually goes back to uh, my first email address and there's a tie in. It's very interesting. I was always into flying as I told you, I'm a pilot and it was my dream to fly. And it was actually my dream to fly fighter planes, unfortunately. And I wanted to join the Navy. I wanted to, to get into this, but I couldn't because um, I have really bad eyesight. So I have contacts. On. And um, so, you know, if you're familiar with flying with aviation, when you make a steep turn, you pull G, G forces. And so when I was a little boy, I said, well, I want to pull nine G's just like the, just like the fighter pilots. And it kind of stuck Rick nine G, you know, and um and it became my email address and then when i thought my channel what did i name my channel kind of just stuck and even though i didn't become a fighter pilot i became a pilot and so i think there was a lot of hope in that name if that even makes sense 9g that you know like going to the stars going forward flying in the clouds and i kind of see it in this channel like there was a lot of hope when i started my channel it's kind of my catchphrase and um I never think I would even get close to a hundred thousand subs. Um, and, and the fact that like now it's happening is, is, is really amazing. And so it's like that hope. That is fantastic. I love that story. And the reason I asked was when, when I would hear you pronounce your name at first, I thought you were possibly Indian because I've got a lot of Indian friends and nine G sounds Indian. But then all of a sudden when I, when I actually emailed you the first time, I spelled it out, N-I-N-E-G, wait a minute, <laughs> okay, maybe this is not his real name, but yeah. that's a wonderful story. Um, okay, since you live in L.A., if I'm yes. not mistaken, so in your research, do you work a lot with fan clubs? Are you able to get the studios to cooperate? What, how does that work for you? Yeah, that's a great question. And that kind of goes to my challenge now. Like I could say my channel's doing great, views are great, all that on that side is great. But kind of what you just brought up right now, that's my struggle right now. Um, I do have people who kind of reach out to me here and there. I kind of mentioned recently the son, uh, excuse me, the son, the daughter, uh, one of the individuals who was on Hogan's Heroes, basically one of the main actors 
sons or daughter. I won't, they didn't want to reveal who they were. Um, so I'll respect that. Uh, reached out to me and was like, hey, I love your videos. It's amazing. Please don't tell people exactly who I am because I'm very shy, but I really appreciate it. I've also had, um, she, she met, it was in a public forum, Lucy Arnaz Luckinville. So Lucille Ball, Desiree Arnaz's daughter reached out to me. Wow. That was great. Um, I've also been reached out by a couple other people, even from museums here, who actually reached out to me. And now we're in this pandemic, but they said, hey, when things open up, we would like to kind of touch base and see if you can combine and so forth. That'd be great. So it's kind of very recent. Studios, not really. Um, believe it or not, there's been a couple issues with copyrights here and there that is studio related. I won't go too much into that, but I'll just tell you that it's, it's kind of an uphill battle because I'm just one guy doing this, you know, with a passion. Yeah, well, I will tell you, after you agreed to come on the show, we sat down for lunch, my wife and I, and uh, we were searching around, and all of a sudden, we don't have to go into it, but you know your video that you made about the whole copyright brouhaha? Yeah, yeah. I saw that, and I thought, oh, my gosh, is he going off the air? He just said he'd come on my show. And so yeah. we watched it, and then I looked at the date, and I think it was like 2017. Yeah, it was a few years uh, ago. Yeah, so I'm, I'm glad. It seemed like a lot of that's gotten resolved. But yeah. I had wondered if just the ongoing struggles with just the platform can be a big struggle yeah. at times. Yeah, and that's a good point. I'm not here to say that that has gone away. In, in the sense, that specific issue has gone away. Others have popped up since then. The reason why I don't talk about it is because obviously they watch the channel and, um, and I don't know, I guess. Oh, sure. Prefer, but, sure. You know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, but in that sense, um, I'm, I'm not, you know, my goal here is to entertain people. My, my goal here is not to post full episodes of any show or anything like that. My, my, my aim is to catch something in an episode, tell what are the funniest moments here, things like that to just refer back to the shows. And honestly, I feel like I'm bringing them business because I encourage people to buy the DVDs, the content. Why? Because that's what we enjoy, right? Um, so I'm happy with them, you know, getting more sales in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let me ask you this. If you had your fantasy interviews, yeah. who would you like to interview? Now, of course, most of these people have already passed away, yeah. but if there's anybody alive today or if there are people, if you could go back in time and you could do an interview, fly on the wall, who yeah. would you do? Oh, man, there's so many that I could list to. Um, Fred Gwynn, he played um, Herman Munster on the Munsters, basically the Frankenstein character, Frankenstein type character. I think he was an amazing individual. The fact that he was so quiet, he was so artistic. Um, he was very talented. He was, a, he was a children's book writer as well as, a, as an artist in an actor and um, wow, just so much wealth there. Uh, there was a story of a UPS man who came, brought him a package and figured out who he was. And after he gave him his package, he's like, whoa, I want your show, I love it. And he said, would you wait five minutes? Fred Gwynn said, I'll draw your caricature. And in five minutes, he drew the UPS man. Or, and he's like, here, this is you. And I think that's so amazing. So Bob Denver, played Gilligan on Gilligan's Island. I would love Desi Arnaz to talk to him because he essentially created what we know as the modern day sitcom in terms of the filming style, the filming concept was all him and still used. Yeah. Okay. In that same vein, um, if you could go back in time and actually participate in some of the shows, 
would you want to, would you want to be in front of or behind the camera? Um, what would, what would the shows be that you'd want to participate in? Well, definitely my favorites, which would be um, Gilligan's Island. I love Lucy. I would love to be in front of the camera. I wouldn't need to do anything big. I could be the guy in the background having the suit while Lucy is arguing with Ricky over losing the train ticket, something like that. I would, I'd be like the Hitchcock character who made his little cameo. Okay. Uh, That would be, that would be, I'd be on cloud nine just doing that. Okay. Well, for me, I've done both a uh, little spot acting. I like being behind the camera. Uh, okay. I work as a, sometimes as an animator and uh, uh, motion graphics artist in the industry. And I prefer that. And I've done right. a lot of other stuff too, but behind the camera is what I like the most. Um, are there characters then, you know, when you're a kid, you'll sort of identify at, with certain characters more than others. Like you'll see yourself as more the Gilligan or this professor or something, who did you see yourself the, who did you identify the most with when you were a kid? Well, I think Lucille Ball in the sense of she has amazing facial ability. Her ability to contort her face is just something that as a kid fascinated me. So, you know, what she would do the make this part of the lip go up, make this go down. I would, I would watch her do it. I would pause it and I would go in front of the mirror and pull it up and try to do it. I would try to emulate her faces. Now, he did mostly movies, Harville Marx, but I was in love with Harville Marx. I would do his faces all the time, do the, that mimicry that he does. I was infatuated with him as well as Gilligan. I would, I would fall just like him, things like that. Those would be my top three. Okay. Um, now, I'm, I'm sure now you have a lot of contact with fans that they'll write to you. And um, I don't know if you go to conventions or whatever, but can you tell me some of your experiences, experiences with different fans? Yeah, I mean, I get contacted almost every day. I, I, have, I have a Facebook page, I have Instagram, all these things. And people just kind of, they, they just kind of pop in here and there, even snail mail. Sometimes I receive letters and amazing letters. Uh, letters that I still keep sometimes people who have gone I think the ones that have touched me the most are people who've been going through difficult times very just just horrible things in the sense of tragic life experiences that they share with me individuals who I've never met they write me pages and pages of their struggle of their suffering and it's it's so moving because to open yourself up to someone like myself, who's, you know, made a three minute video on, on Lucy's faces and someone writes that. And I was like, wow, how privileged am I, you know, uh, to hear these things. There's just one individual, of course I won't name them, but they were going through cancer and they just, again, popped in that, Hey Rick, your videos make me laugh. I watch them every day. They bring me to this great time. It's actually a younger person. And this individual said that they took my message of hope and now they're in remission from the cancer and they actually use my catchphrase to help other people who are dealing with cancer and say, Hey, I'm in a remission. I've learned that this concept of hope is really good. Like, please take it to heart too. And I was like, Whoa, like there's nothing I can say. There's no words that I can really, you know, amply uh, say an appreciation or just awe at that. So I'm very appreciative. Yeah, and I, I think that's what we, you know, we were talking about earlier about the whole YouTube experience where you per possibly have 
what might be either considered a quirky or a nerdy passion or obsession yeah. that, yeah. Um, you know, I'm 58. So back when I was a kid, I was considered a nerd because there were a lot of things that I liked that were really nerdy. And because yeah. I was in a small school in a small rural area, I was pretty much the only one that was into that. As a matter of fact, I was like 16 years old when Star Wars came out. And I remember, or 17, me and my sister driving home from the theater. And I was saying, this is a great movie, but nobody's going to like it. Just me and a couple other, you know, nerds. And that's it. Yeah. And I was so isolated. It wasn't until after college that I realized Star Wars was this huge phenomena. Yeah. And now with YouTube, you know, you've got this channel that's, that means so much to a lot of people. And just that you may have a lot of differences in other areas, but you got that one connection that you can agree on that means something to both of you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I relate a lot to what you just said. Um, I have uh, two really good best friends in my life and they know everything about me. Obviously they know my struggles. They know about my failed relationships. They know about my failed businesses, like everything. But it was, it was kind of sad, but I don't want to keep on a sad note, but it was kind of sad to learn that they never knew of my love of these classic shows until my channel got bigger and they started seeing my social media of me making these videos. I never wanted to tell people because I thought, no, you know, I would maybe mention it in passing with friends and they'd be like, what's that? And I was like, okay, I got to shut up because obviously I'm the weird nerd who, you know, likes these things and, you know, these kids, they like cars and girls and not that I didn't like those things but I had a passion for it no one else shared it and then now some of my best friends like I mentioned they're like wait Rick you do this and it's like videos that you make yeah yeah I'm like wow and they're, they're actually very nice about it they're like you should have told us and I was like I should have yes <laughs> <laughs> okay um let me ask you what are some of the most surprising things that you've learned about uh the actors or the shows that you didn't know I'm thinking for instance I already knew this a little bit, but that Bob Denver had really gone to the mat for Don Wells and Russell Johnson in demanding that they had um, equal billing with all the yeah. other stars. And I can't remember if it was Bob Denver or some other star that actually went to the mat for some of the actors and said, you got to give them a pay increase because mm -hmm. I'm making huge and yeah. they're, barely making it and they're a part of the show. So either they get it or I walk. Do you have other things that you've learned about that that you didn't know? Oh, absolutely. And that's a good point. Adding on to what you just said about Bob Denver. It's, it's a video that I made not too long ago and it had to do with him doing his own stunts. He actually enjoyed doing his own stunts. He did most of them. We're not going to say all of them. There are things that are dangerous, just not advisable unless you're trained to fall and things like that. But there were instances where he, was like, woohoo, now I'm going to go into the mud. And he was going to enjoy that. But he thought to himself, wait, there's a stuntman right here who could do that stunt and he'll get paid to do it. So I would rather him do that. And he purposefully would allow these stuntmen to do these things, even though he enjoyed doing them, so that they would get paid because he was done financially. He was good financially. And adding on to that, I mean, Alan Hale Jr., who played the skipper on the, on the same show, Gilligan's Island, he would regularly go in his outfit, you know, skipper outfit, to visit children. And they would, you know, sick children and they would go incredibly, uh, they would just be like, oh my gosh, the skipper is here. You know, um, a lot of these actors are veterans, you know, um, who are in, you know, 
terrible, terrible conflicts, you know, across the other side of the world. You would never know this, you know, Don Adams, Russell Johnson. Um, there's so, so many. In fact, I'm kind of embarrassed. I don't have them like the tip of my tongue, but I, I'm probably going to make a video on that. Just all of these veterans who've been in all these shows. Um, Desi Arnaz is another one, you know, he was, he was a sergeant in the army. And so many different interesting things of these individuals who weren't just actors, they were so much more. They were family men and women. A lot of them were good people. A lot of them were very different from the characters they played. Um, a lot of them had a lot of demons, if you want to say, off camera, but then we would never know that because we see them always laughing, making us laugh. Um, just so many interesting things, uh, so many hidden secrets that came out after their death. And so I like to focus on that because I think it makes them a little bit more human. And I think that makes them more likable. You enjoy them more. Right, right. Um, I wanted to ask you, if you could, uh, I was thinking about Don Wells was interviewed one time and somebody asked, you know, what do you think it would be like if Gilligan's Island were shot today? And she said, oh my gosh, we'd all probably be sleeping with each other and all kinds of stuff like that. Can you even imagine anything like the Munsters or Gilligan's Island or any of those things even being shot today? It, it's hard for me to imagine that it would be done and be done with that pure fun and not trying to indoctrinate us. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. And I would agree with Don Wells on that. Um, I was thinking of that the other day that there are so many of these shows that just wouldn't work today to remake them. And I, one of the most popular questions people ask me on my live streams and in general, Hey Rick, pick a show that you like and um, choose some actors you'd like to remake it in. And it, I understand the question, but I won't say it irks me, but it more, I'm like, Ooh, no, let's not remake these shows. Let's leave them like it is. Um, not to say that these actors couldn't do it, but you know, I know you're a big fan of art and, and you study art and it's it's like if you have a Picasso and you're like, okay, go ahead and copy the Picasso. It's, you're like, wait, no, right? No, no, no. Enjoy the work of art. I don't care if it's 400 years old. That's the point. And um, I think it loses some of the flavor of the originality of the show when you remake it as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I like some of the movies that they've done, but but some of them, they just really fall flat. You just, they yeah. don't have the chemistry. I would even argue it to me, some of the Gilligan's Island movies, they just, even then, I mean, it's like 10, 15 years later and that chemistry is yeah. just kind of not there like it's it was there. before. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, um, I'm actually looking at my questions here. Sure. Um, Oh, where do you see your channel going over the next, over in the coming years, you know, expanding, going in depth or moving into other genres? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think you might, you might know, I don't know who exactly said this, but I, I heard some of the, some of the dangers of growth is that in itself growth, because you get to the point where you think, where should I go from here? And you want to be new and inventive, but you also don't want to stray from what people like. And so reaching 100,000, um, my goal is to start a, another channel in addition. So I don't want to say I would leave the one I was doing. So a second channel where I would focus just on cartoons, classic cartoons. Uh, oh, wow. Scooby-Doo and, yes. and, you know, the Jetsons and, you know, Yogi Bear, all this good stuff. Um, just because 
I know there's a lot of crossover. I know a lot of people who would love the Munsters in Gilligan's Island would maybe love Scooby-Doo, but then there's some people who just won't touch cartoons and I respect that. Um, and so that's why I decided maybe another channel. So I think that would be a really fun adventure. I told people, hey, help me reach 100,000. And I think it's a, cause it's a big deal to start a new channel. It's a lot of work, but I think it'll be worth it cause I love a lot of cartoons as well. Um, but I really do want to explore more classic shows, maybe some that I used to watch, but maybe knew very little about, teach myself more about it and come out with different style videos for that. But I definitely want to stay in the classic realm. I definitely do want to go more into cartoons, as I mentioned. Um, there's a lot of room for growth. Even if I keep all the shows that I'm working on right now, I'm pretty sure I could still have years and years of content to come out. Let me ask you this. Do you have any advice for, I, I want two uh, categories of advice. First is uh, people, if there's someone who wants to start their own channel and it doesn't necessarily have to be a fan-based channel, is there any advice that you would have on just dealing with, with YouTube, with the software, with computer, just your learning curve on just the technical aspects? Yeah, the, the, um, the great thing about that right now is that there's so much information online. So if you want to, don't know anything about editing, um, there's very simple programs out there. Even people who teach you how to edit kind of on the fly are very simply. So some people kind of have these roadblocks where they're like, oh, I'm scared because of this room. Um, there's all these steps that you can take um, and there's good advice out there. So I would recommend that. Don't be afraid to kind of dive deep into it. I think that's the first thing. Second thing, I think a lot of people say, hey, I, I, I hear it a lot. I want to start a channel and so forth. What do you suggest? I suggest go deep into yourself and really see what you like. Um, and I know maybe that advice is common, but I think that's very important because at one point I was thinking of making, I, before this channel um, was classic shows, it was, it was gaming. It was a lot of video games and I do like video games. It's kind of a relaxing thing for me, but I would say it's not a passion. These shows are a passion. Some people maybe have a passion for cooking. Some people maybe have a passion for sewing, but who's going to watch sewing? That's what you think. But you may have created something, a sewing technique. You may have a little, a little trick that no one ever knew that you thought, hey, everyone knows this. And the thing is, you need to be yourself and you need to focus on your interest. If those things are the two main things, then you will be successful because there's going to be a passion to drive it. I go to sleep thinking about my channel and I wake up thinking about my channel. I think if you are that much into it, then you're going to be successful. Yeah. Okay. Then on the other side, if they wanted to start a fan club or a, a fan channel, just all of a sudden it hit me that there are probably some things that you've run into say particular no-nos like reaching out to stars, reaching out to studios, that there, there might be a particular way of doing it that you're going to be more successful if you do it one way than another or others that you can get a door slammed in your face very quickly. Mm -hmm. So advice mm -hmm. on how to be a good fan. Yeah, how to be a good fan. I think it's important um, to kind of be open and be open to no's, uh, but don't give up. There are many different avenues out there. Um, just because I've been doing this for so long, I found out that there are many different ways in social media to reach out to people who are in the industry or people that know, you know, like it's very easy 
to find someone who's a star, but then they have a friend and then that person knows a writer who maybe, I don't want to say isn't that popular, but maybe no one really knows about, but maybe that writer talks to you, but then the chain is very close. And I've had a lot of those interactions where I don't want to give too much away, but I kind of am in the sense of it's not that difficult if you know that everything's connected. And if maybe the star itself doesn't give you attention because there's a, they're busy. There's so much going on and there's so many fans, right? There are many avenues to get to them, if that makes sense. Um, so, um, you know, be yourself, be gracious um, and be persistent. And that's still what I'm doing. I'm, I'm still very persistent in, in my search and of course, very polite to them because I, I enjoy their work and so forth. So. Okay. Well, and going back to what you were talking about, about uh, doing uh, cartooning or things like that, I will personally put in my vote for that. I, <laughs> I grew up with cartoons, especially being an artist. That's what I wanted to do was yeah. animation and so forth. And I've done some of that, but I've done other artwork as well. Um, so I love that. And you said you were in the Navy, right? No, no, I wasn't. I was planning okay. on going into um, to become a fighter pilot, but then when I decided I couldn't fly. I was like, no. Okay. Uh, well, but you did say that you were thinking about doing a video on those who, uh, those actors and directors and all who served in the military. And I think that would be incredible because there are so many, uh, especially from the World War II era that, oh, um, yeah. oh my gosh, his name just slipped me. It wasn't Cecil B. DeMille, but the the director that lost one eye um, oh. in World War II, um, he was there filming. And I think, I think the shrapnel went through the lens and hit him in the eye. He's the, the director that you see with John Wayne and all that. Yeah. He's always wearing the eye patch. Well, that's, right. that's where he got. So uh, there are so many movie stars that we don't always realize that they went through tremendous uh, experiences in, in, in the wars. And it would be nice to hear more about that. Right. No, I agree. And it does some videos, take a lot of time to put together that would take a lot of time because it's many actors and you have to go and find their individual stories which is sometimes not it's it's not that popularized it's not that well known so you have to kind of dig deep so if i make a video on that with let's say five actors that could take a long time because again we're going to each one um but that, that's fine i have no rush like that's part of my work there are many videos that are always under construction i have a list on my phone where I could just scroll up and down and videos that are not completed that I can't make because I need more info and so forth. But I definitely want to do that. You know, Jackie Coogan's another one, one of the first child actors, right? Acting with uh, Charlie Chaplin, then starring or co-starring on Dad is Family. You know, he was a, he was a pilot, you know, World War II pilot. Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been asking all these questions and now, uh, I, I wanted to open it up that is there anything you wanted to talk about anything you've wanted to share uh, with your your fans or just anything you'd like to talk about yeah I always want to talk about the fact of what my channel is and that's it's it's a it's a safe location for everyone to come and go back to a time to create new memories to uh, meet new people. I can't tell you how many people, because of the channel, because of what it is, not necessarily because of me, because you could say I, I kind of started something and now the channel is kind of a thing. It's alive in that sense. And so right now people can go there and they talk to each other. They meet each other. I have people who told me they became friends because of 
hey, they started talking in the live stream in, in the comments. And that's amazing, especially for people who think that maybe they're the only ones. Um, and I think that's really big. That was my big thing, my biggest issue that I thought I was the only one in a bad way, in the sense of I'm alone in this. So I want people to understand that they're not alone in this, in whatever thing in life they may be going through, that there are these shows, there are these things that you love, take um, such heart to because you grew up, you were little kids and they were on in the background, or you were little kids and your parents loved them, whatever it might be. And that these shows are still live. They're not gone because they're not on TV. You could still watch them. You still watch someone like me commenting on them, bringing them alive. So um, yeah, it's a great place. It's like our own little virtual Disneyland. That's it. Great, great. Okay, well, Rick, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you coming on the show. It's been delightful to talk to you. And I'm kind of hoping that maybe in the not too distant future, after we've, uh, I've seen some more of your videos or whatever, we might visit again. Sure. I appreciate that. I thank you so much for inviting me as well. Um, it is great to be able to just, you know, again, connect with people, connect with people, love these shows. And um, it's amazing. What state are you in? I'm in Mississippi. Mississippi. So look at that. We're connecting from literally across the country because of our mutual interest in these shows. So we probably wouldn't have met otherwise. So no. that's amazing. <laughs> and I'm thankful for it. So thank you. Okay. Well, thank you, Rick. Thank you guys for watching. I'm Bill Wilson and I'm the Arthropologist. If you enjoyed this episode of the Arthropologist, there are more episodes on YouTube. To see my work, you can visit my website, BillWilsonStudio.com, where I have my books, prints, and originals for sale. I am a portrait painter and illustrator, and there you can contact me about commissioned work. I'm Bill Wilson, and I'm the Arthropologist.